things now. My ballerina costume does. Granny? Who are you? No, uh-uh, I don't remember. Welcome to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. It's another Tuesday night. We're glad you're with us. As always, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter with my special host, Kevin Quatman. Say hi, Kevin. I think he's <laughs> a little <laughs> delay there, Kevin. Come on now. <laughs> anyway, tonight's special guest is Chris Houston. If you were uh, listening to BBS Radio last Friday, I believe it was Friday, wasn't it, Chris? We were on together on your show. Yep. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. He's, he's the host of Paranormal Truth and Reality, a BBS uh show that is about the paranormal just like we are he's pretty popular with bbs and he's also on some am stations up there in ohio do us a quick favor there chris tell us how you got started doing the uh, paranormal truth and reality oh i can't do that one very very quickly well paranormal truth and reality was the ending concept of how i got started i i lived in a haunted home that had a very unique history that um, is going to be in a book and of course i sold some of the uh I sold a little bit of it here and there to uh, paranormal reality shows throughout the years, but uh, um, that started me on my journey, so I was curious on what happened to me after uh, a long series of events that uh, proved to me that the paranormal existed, so I started to spend the next, I would say, 11 years or so digging into research, talking to scientists, spending time just picking everybody's brain I could rather than going out and just starting investigations like you saw on TV, um, because I really wanted to dig into, excuse the term when I say this, but what the heck is was really going on here. Um, I know what I saw. I know what I experienced. I know after having many people in the home, including a psychiatrist that ran out scared, believe it or not, um, whole other story there, uh, and some very, fairly famous paranormal investigators visiting one which refused to go into the home, that my experience was real. So uh, eventually that built up after talking to a bunch of people to going out and working with paranormal investigators and helping behind some of the paranormal TV shows as a B-crew, putting wires together and learning kind of the Hollywood thing or the TV thing when I could. And I wanted to go back into telling people stories. You know, I wasn't comfortable with telling mine yet, but I knew there were a lot of other people out there that had stories to tell. So... 
I donned a Facebook group to start that called Real Time Paranormal. It blew up to two or 3,000 people within months. I started getting phone calls because the group and the research that I was putting out there was interesting from other TV shows that are fairly well-known saying, hey, look, we want our writers to have more information. Can you feed them where you find this? Can you give them information? And it kind of blew up into a whole career I wasn't expecting. <laughs> Um, and then from there, I went into radio and started a small radio t- show at first called Paranormal Happening, and that was on AM up here and a few FM stations in Ohio and surrounding areas, moved to Wisconsin, dropped that, went on the digital uh, situation and started a website called Paranormal Truth and Reality. Originally, the website was for paranormal investigators, people to go to so that you could find an actual research portal. So that way you didn't believe the shows. You could find out where to get information, who to contact from the Catholic Church overseas in Rome, what phone numbers to go to if you needed to speak or ask particular questions, what scientists to go to if you needed something really examined. And then uh, it blew up into a radio show, and here I am today. (laughs) And your show is pretty successful now, isn't it? For the most part, I mean, it's still building. We went from, I think, originally 20 or 30 listeners to 200 listeners to I'm not sure what Donald gets now. It varies, I'm sure, with the AM stations on top of that on the replays. I end up anywhere from two to 4,000 listeners across the state of Ohio, Michigan, Indiana, and a few other places. So, I mean, I'm, I'm getting fairly well-known for it. I would like to say I'm getting paid well for it, but that would be a lie. <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm in your corner with that one too, buddy. We're, we were it's a, it's a passion you have to have, but it doesn't really uh, make you rich, does it? Nope, nope. I've dumped more money into it than I've ever gotten out of it, but uh, I enjoy what I'm doing. You know, when we talked Friday, we kind of uh, we went into some subjects. We went into a lot of subjects actually, but I kind of wanted to back up with you tonight. Uh, I was thinking back to what we were talking about, and we kind of mentioned science a little bit there. And if you've listened to our show, and I know our listeners have have kept up with this we've had some people that were non-believers on our show that absolutely just uh could not believe in the paranormal no matter what kind of proof you threw at them and uh, you know science has a hard way of looking outside of the box i kind of want to get your opinion on the show tonight about what you feel uh science compared to paranormal and the, and the problems we got between the two of them because we talked on it and you, you had a good uh, you know some good comments yeah, on it It's kind of funny because a lot of people say science and the paranormal doesn't mix, but that reality is from a generation of people that don't understand where it started. If you look into the real term paranormal, paranormal means the unknown. It's basically everything unexplained by science as of yet. Everything unexplained by science as of yet. Um, Now, that means that 99% of scientists somewhere along the line have been into the paranormal. They're just not looking at it the way you or I are looking at it today because media has twisted that term around many, many times. Um, A lot of your equipment that you use today, somewhere along the line, was paranormal. When we first tapped into a radio signal and couldn't explain it, it was paranormal. Believe it or not, the atom bomb was paranormal. (laughs) You had to come up with the science and the experiments to figure out something went boom, And as long as you didn't know what made it go boom, it was still unexplained. So it could have been anything. It could have been another dimension. It could have been another, uh, it could have been an alien doing it all. You have no idea what it is until you define what's known. Um, And that's the way science looks at the paranormal and most avenues that we have today as well. As an example, we stopped 
we have a rise, and I'm writing a book about this so that the listeners know. It'll be out in April. It's a three-chronicle set of books that's more, mostly education, so it's probably going to be boring to a lot of people, but you can use it as a reference guide. We started originally with actually using science and applying it to, to the paranormal, from everything from demonic possession to ghost claims to all kinds of other things, trying to determine what it was. But we didn't look at it the way we're looking at it today. A ghost was not a ghost. A demon was not a demon. Let's find out what this is. What is causing it? Could it be psychological? Could it be something else going on? Could it be events that we can't explain because we simply can't register them coming from quantum physics, coming from a dozen different tables? We don't know. We can't just come in and go, oh, my God, the picture flew across the room. Must be your grandma. <laughs> agreed, agreed. Um, and we stopped that when parapsychology dropped in the United States. Now, some countries are still more scientific, even though you don't see it on social media. But we stopped a lot of that when parapsychology started to drop, and it dropped for a good reason. The fact of the matter is parapsychology was covering anywhere from 100 to 500 different sciences in one group, which means you learned very little about anything. If you isolated that and put it back into its own groups, whatever that is, geology, archaeology, all of this other stuff, then if you're interested in that particular area of the paranormal, you find your way to it anyway. Um, but uh, when we lost that way and the television shows picked up, more people wanted to just say it's a ghost. The reality is we have no idea what a ghost is. We assume it's a dead spirit that we're talking to. We assume it's somebody because of the registry that we're running into. But do we really know that's the case? The answer is no. Um, and that's where science picks up a lot of times. A lot of people think they say, no, it's not a ghost. No, it's not that they're telling you it's not a ghost of your dead loved one. They're telling you there could be another logical explanation. What happens if things like quantum physics is an example. If you go into the modern theory of quantum physics, time is something we made up. Everything travels in the exact same motion. It's just in different streams, making it a different variable. Therefore, the past, the present, the future, everything is in that same motion. And can they interact? The answer is yes. The closer the streams get, the more likely they're going to react from time to time. So are you truly talking to your loved one or to a guy that was in the Civil War when he died, or are you actually, for that moment in time, physically talking to the guy when he was still alive? The answer is we don't know. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, so what's your what's your opinion on it though? Come on, um, you know what is your belief on it? You've been doing it for a while. You got to have some kind of you know, thesis at least, or something. Um, I have many different theses. They all vary on different things. I believe that there are realities out there wherever they're coming from, and I can't tell you yes, they're they're coming from here, here, and here because I don't know. But there are realities out there that cross over into ours, um, and some of those realities do manipulate ours from time to time. I know that's hard to comprehend for the average individual, and it's even hard to comprehend for the average scientist, but reality is some things happen that you just simply can't explain, and you know it came from somewhere else. Sometimes people are guided in directions that they should be going. Now, that could be written off as common instinct, but is it common instinct to the brain telling you you shouldn't do that when something physically stands in front of you and tells you don't do that? You know, there's a lot of things that I think are out there that come from somewhere else. The question is whether they come from 
what we believe they are in our faith, what we believe they are at and and what we want. And when it comes to the reality of ghosts, um, I think we're looking at it all wrong, and I think we're looking at it all wrong for the right reasons. Humanity has always wanted to believe that there's something after life. I want to believe that. You want to believe that. I'm sure Kevin wants to believe that, and I'm sure the listeners want to believe that, too. That's how we're raised. We don't want to believe that when everything is gone, it's gone. And that's not a bad thing. But we're looking at it at the level of, well, then that means that we carry on. Well, I kind of think we do carry on, but in different ways than most people realize. Just like a radio frequency, just like any form of energy or so forth, before it progresses into the next evolution of energy, pieces of that remain, and it breaks down on a slow period in time. So if, by chance, we are energy in our body like people believe, then that energy is no different than any other energy in the world or the universe, or anything else, because everything in one way, shape, or form you will learn is connected. So is it possible if I die tomorrow that part of me is still going to be here for a while? The answer is yes. It's not going to be a physical form. It may be something that relates with you for a brief period in time until that energy disperses into something new. Does that make sense at all? (laughs) Yeah, it totally does. So what's your belief? I mean, do you believe in life after death, or is it just something you're not sure of yet? I believe in life after death. I just don't believe it's life after death like people think. Um, I believe just like everything else, we do end. But we end we end by creating something new. Um, like every cycle, like every energy, everything is connected in life and death and the planet and outer space, and the other planets, and the radio frequencies, everything is connected. In order to do that, those things have to evolve into other things. So when we pass away here, eventually we disperse from what you know now. Now, that can be different for each person or each piece of energy, just like a radio frequency or just like any other type of energy that transforms. And then we transform into something else. Now, what is that? I have no idea. I don't even know if it'll be intelligent or not. I'd like to think that you just transform into something even more intelligent and you just advance to another level, but um, I don't think it's quite like people think because that's, you know, that's a hope and a dream that, hey, look, we can live forever and we can look after our loved ones and so forth. Well, I think we can live to an extent, but then we expand beyond that extent. We dissipate, so to speak, from what we were when we pass away from this body, and eventually we transform into something else. Okay, now I'm going to have to put you on the spot here a little bit, Chris, because a lot of our listeners and a lot of people in the paranormal have a strong belief in religion when it comes to dealing with spiritual beings, demons, or whatever it is they want to call them. It sounds a little bit like you're going beyond that and saying that religion may not be a part of it. It's more science, well, more natural, I guess, than 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 religion. Am I getting the gist of it? Um, it's it's more natural and common. Now, religion has its place in the paranormal as well. Again, if you take three steps back um, and you actually look at it, and I, I've done a lot of, and I'm, I'm a religious person myself, I've done a lot of contemplation of that throughout the years. Each individual strand, again, time, space, past, present, other dimensions, other places, they all connect in one way, shape, or form. As they connect and they flow together and they connect together, it's likely to believe that if you have another dimension whose basic principles are different than ours, they should be able to cross over to ours. And it's also likely that there are more intelligent things in those 
dimensions and everywhere else around us. Now, that is where I think religion bases in. Do I believe that somewhere along the line there was good and evil, God and the devil, and it's here today? The answer is yes. But I think that's different than us passing on. <laughs> um, kind, of, kind of elaborate on that. I mean, you're saying you think that's different. Elaborate on that compared to... Because religion, if, if you look at the religion aspect, especially in the New Testament, that the, some of the religions believe that we don't pass on. Well, I, I guess it's pass on, but they believe we just go to sleep and then we're resurrected. Well, some believe that we transformed. Let, I mean, kind of elaborate. If, if you go into the basics... Let's just use the, the simple basics of something like uh, the Bible as an example. And, and I was raised uh, Baptist originally. Now, they believe that if you're saved, when you pass on, you go to heaven. Um, if, you, if you're not saved and you did the wrong things, you go to hell. Now, if you think about that in average terms, that's not much different than how I explained it. You evolve from one form to another, or you devolve from one form to another. So if there's something out there that has evolved past us, then logically you would move to that level somewhere along the line, and there you go, you're in heaven. <laughs> um, if, if you devolve or you digress and you stay longer or your energy is here longer before it dissipates, whatever, however that works, and that is still something that's just, well, you can't really explain it until you find it. Um, then you would digress a little bit, and maybe that's where the darker side of things happen. Now, if every dimension is connected, if every universe is connected, if every situation is connected, if life is connected and so forth, then realistically, you could very well be dissipating into one universe or dissipating into another universe, and there could be things from those universes that help that process, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, it makes total sense. It makes total sense. So I, I basically... If I'm following you correctly, your belief is that when you when you when it might not be your it's just what you think at this point, but when you someone passes away to heaven to them could be going into another dimension or going into another universe and and adapting to that and hell is the opposite where they don't evolve into that is to kind of clarify that well now they, they, it, that they don't evolve into that universe I mean they could be moving from one universe to another universe especially if the universes are advanced beyond us and they've been at war for in the first place for years and that's where the Bible comes from it's kind of like um, a friend of mine that that's um, an alien theologist he believes that God and the devil are all aliens and they're fighting amongst themselves which is where we end up going eventually too well universes are kind of the same way if you theoretically think about it if one intelligent universe and another intelligent universe doesn't like each other and we're in the middle of those intelligent universes in the streams where do you think they're going to go <laughs> yeah right right and, and you know that's actually a good theory because if you think about it if if god is the creator of all things then he he basically was an alien was he not I mean, he created, he wasn't from the surf, so that would, that would categorize him as an alien. Yeah, and I've had that discussion many, many times. It would categorize him as an alien. He's not of this earth, so where did he come from? But technically, <laughs> we're aliens, too, though. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess that is technically. We, we would be considered aliens if we're not meant to be on this world. I mean, if we're, if we're destined to go somewhere else, and, and the term of alien, how it's defined, and that makes us all an alien, doesn't it? In the term alien, it's kind of funny because people use that term alien and they assume grays and they assume five or six different races and they assume all this other stuff. But the basic term alien, when you break it down into science, 
is uh, an undefined being or an undefined creature. It's, it's, it's kind of like if you have an alien in your DNA. If you have an alien in your DNA, it's an unmarked piece of DNA that shouldn't be there. <laughs> so if you're an illegal alien, then come into the United States. Well, that means you came from another country. So theoretically, yeah, if we came from somewhere else, we're an alien too. <laughs> so now we just Friday we discussed this. I want to go into it too because it kind of it kind of culminates what we're talking about. We we discussed the equipment that people use to actually try to uh, prove <clears throat> spirituality, I guess, or life after death, or or whatever it is they want to prove. Um, and we were kind of in agree, agreement about that. Is that the modern day equipment that we're using quite isn't quite cutting it as far as science science is concerned. And I, you know, if you don't mind going over that a little bit too about your theories on on you know stuff like the X cams and all that good stuff. Well, the reality of things are, and I'll, I'll start with audio. When you're talking about a lot of the spirit boxes and so forth, and I have a lot of friends that use them, but I come from an audio background. I was an audio engineer originally. I'm sure that uh, with Donald listening, he'd probably even agree with this and laugh a little bit. The reality is a lot of times what, what you do is you cycle through radio channels forward and backward, and you try to find correlation to your conversations. Well, here's the truth of the situation when you're dealing with radio signals and the other signals that can interfere now that you've got advanced spirit boxes that pick up walkie-talkies and all the other stuff. Of course you're going to get communication. Let's think about this a little bit. How many common words are said on the radio on a regular basis, including ours? Names, words, statements, syllables, all of those things cycle back and forth when it stops for a brief second is going to be a conversation. So are you really speaking to a ghost? The answer is no, you're not. You're way off base there, contrary to what everybody says. Now, it's very interesting science. It's very interesting to see. It's mind-boggling. It's a great parlor trick. <laughs> but that's exactly what it is. And that's not where ITC and EVP originated from. They didn't originate from these spirit boxes. People advanced them to there. They originated from what's in between the lines, which means if I'm listening to a radio signal, as an example, if I'm listening to a radio signal in general, and like the one that we're talking to now, and I'm sitting here listening to it, and I'm saying are you here, and I get yes, well, obviously I'm going to get yes. Uh, there's probably about 12,000 yeses that just came through on every radio station in America. Um, so that's not going to help. Can I get your name? Well, my, if I get Bob, Sharon, well, of course I'm going to get a name. That's kind of stupid. Have you died before, yes or no? All those questions are re- irrelevant. But if I ask, Kevin, Yes. Can you hear me? And then I isolate out all those signals when I'm running it. And I had that discussion with you. That's what I'd recommend people do with a spirit box. Isolate out every individual signal, every signal, all the way through. Listen to every signal and isolate them. And then that last signal you hear, hi, this is Kevin. I can hear you. Where are you at? Then you've got something. Now, that's why EVP recorders are very interesting when you put them in a Faraday cage. I've had that experience before. I've met people that, uh, one of the people that mentored me worked on White Noise, uh, and his experiences are actually in that movie with Michael Keaton, um, especially the ones with the radio. He put himself in a Faraday cage. I didn't believe him when he did this, by the way, because I'm an audio engineer, so I'm thinking, yeah, 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 whatever. So I built the Faraday cage, did it myself, and still got communication. When you can get communication where communication shouldn't be, and that communication is telling you things that other people shouldn't know, then it's kind of a scary thing. <laughs> hey, Chris. 
Chris, I got a question for you then, because I'm I'm a like the Spirit Box. We use the SB11, and there's been times the first two months I had, it, I was going to throw it out. I'm like, this thing just is awful. It's not very good. And then we've come across some things that makes you just scratch your head. Like we had a lady named Edna. It was her house, and Edna's not a common. Name. And at one point, we asked, "Can you say?" Edna or Kevin or, or uh, Denise, and it came back Edna. I mean, clear as day. There was no doubt who it was. It was it was crystal clear, loud. What, what model? And how does that happen though? If it's, I mean, how how can that happen? What model were you using? Was it a spirit box that was put together? Like no, one of no, the earlier SB, spirit boxes. No, it was SB eleven. Just the one you buy at you know Go Stop or any of those. It's the eleven SB eleven. When we're off the air, I can tell you that, but I cannot tell you that on the air. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've done my research. Sure. I've done my well, research. Now you know we're going to have a million listeners now. They're going to say, why wouldn't he tell us that? And I'm going to be bugging me, Kev. <laughs> well, with respect to the creators that created the SP7 and created the SP11, um, I've done a lot of research with their boxes, and I have several websites that sell them myself. Unfortunately, that's a part of business. And I have learned some things about some of the common apps and some of the common programs that most people don't know. So I can actually answer that for you. Now, okay. what can you look for on a spirit box that is extremely unique and unexplained? Well, every now and then, correlating evidence with everything else still gives you that 2%. Now, what do I mean by correlating evidence? We've used this in scientific experiments, and I continue to still use this when I'm out at locations. Let's take an SB7 and put it over here. Let's take three different apps and put them over there. Let's take an EVP recorder and put it over here. Let's take three cameras and put it over there. Now let's try the experiment and see what happens. Now most of the time, none of them will correlate at all, no matter where you are. So if I can't get one to correlate with another, I know a lot of investigators like to say, hmm, well, that makes it an anomaly. No, actually, it doesn't make it an anomaly. It makes it unlikely. If I can get most of them to correlate when they're not supposed to be correlating together, then you've got something different. So if I've got an app over here that's not related to the SB7, I've got an SB7 over here, and then I've got another SB box over here that's on a different cycle of frequencies, I've got a bunch of different equipment coming together, and Edna still comes through on one of those boxes or all of those boxes or jumps from each box to each box when I tell her to, I can't explain that. Um, we have had that happen, actually. I had that happen at Ohio State Reformatory, believe it or not, in a correlating conversation all the way through to a tunnel um, where we had several different devices running, started at the beginning device, said, okay, we're going back to the, to the rear device, so if you don't want me to go back after we've placed this device, can you tell me so? Bam, went straight to the box behind it. Didn't correlate on the first box, went to the second box and said, don't go there put a recorder all the way back to see if we could record something. By God, when we crawled back there and got the recorder, played it back the next day, something was in the back recording and talking, saying, don't come back here any further, don't come back here any further, don't come back here any further. <laughs> so if you can get that much evidence, then you've got something that, well, you can't explain it. Uh, let, me, let, me give you a, let me give you one more example, Chris. About three weeks ago, we went to a place in Indiana and it's uh, it's a pretty neat place. It's an old mansion from 1820, and it sits up over the river. It's it's isolated by itself. And normally we don't get anything on a spirit box up there. It doesn't, you know, it's 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 kind of we, we just don't get much on it with radio frequency. And we were up there, and 
at one point I, we had two people with us and one person's a novice uh, has never been on a ghost hunt or anything like that before. And, uh, he and I were in the room and we were by ourselves and it came across and we didn't hear it at the time. It wasn't as clear. It said they're human. And I didn't think anything of it. But then about half hour later, I took another lady upstairs with me by ourselves and we were sitting there. We really weren't having a lot of success. And I finally said, let's go downstairs and make some hot chocolate. Uh, because it was cold out that night and it crystal clear we both heard it said they're human and that was I, we, I was kind of shocked like they're human what's that mean you know this is two different people two different room the same room but two different times and we got it both i mean i got them recorded but is that now was that, that like a correlation or well yeah i mean i would probably look for even more correlations when doing it i found uh, but that is a correlation yeah and if you can get it to repeat uh, this is another thing that a lot of people don't understand is and i I've, i spoke about about it on the last show and i speak about it quite often is if you really want to dig into the paranormal properly you can't just go to one location at a time and investigate that location because you don't know what you're really getting you have to go back repetitive times repetitive times repetitive times repetitive times repetitive times and see if that returns or recorrelates bring massive amounts of equipment besides the average equipment and i get why everybody brings in the average equipment because let's face it we don't have a manual and nobody has access to a science room. So the reality of bringing twelve to $14,000 worth of scientific equipment into a location to try to prove something is there is virtually impossible for the average person that wants to be a ghost hunter. If you could do that, you'd be amazed what you could find. <laughs> Um, but if you can't do that, you go in with what? You go in with a K2, you go in with the spirit box, you go in with your EVP recorders, you go in with your night vision cameras, which, by the way, really wasn't designed to catch ghosts. It was designed to film us while we were trying to catch ghosts. Uh, <laughs> and, and you repeat a process that's been done on TV. Um, so you've got to go back and try to get correlating evidence repetitively. Sometimes you're lucky, and you get correlating evidence that just absolutely outstands you. And usually it's at the weirdest time possible. When you're not expecting it, when you're setting up some sort of equipment, when you don't want it to be there, bam, it's right in front of you. Um, but uh, most people don't take the time to record that data, and it's all about the data. It's all about the data. I can't prove at any location that anything is there unless I go there multiple times and then I compare that data to other people that have went there multiple times, and I compare that data to other people that have went there multiple times, then all of a sudden when I'm running my equations, and I have a computer that actually does that, believe it or not, when I run my equations, all of a sudden I've got a match. Now, it's, it's more ironic all of a sudden when it's not just a handful of claims going yes that you see on paper, but no, you've got actually a bunch of investigators, and oh, look, I got the same thing that happened to a hundred times, a thousand times. Well, if it's the same thing that happened a thousand times with people that did not correlate with each other, and it happened to me as well, there's got to be something to it. <laughs> True. Agreed, agreed. Hey, folks, we're going to go to commercial break here for just a second. Well, actually, it's going to be about five minutes. But uh, our guest tonight is Chris Houston, and we're going to be right back with him. And hopefully, Chris, when you get back, we're going to talk a little bit a little bit about EVPs and your opinion on that. Folks, if you ever want to check any of our past shows out, go to bbs.com and look for the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. You'll be able to find all our archives right there on BBS Radio. We're also on YouTube, iHeartRadio, and a few other things. But we will be right back with Chris Houston. 
Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few more sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. As a man, you know what it's like to break your back on a daily basis. Introducing new Bud Silver, the beer for hardworking men. It's just what you need after a day of assembling flat pack furniture. When instructions are cast aside in favor of intuition. Working with one eye on the job and another on the TV. A day when you're told it looks a bit wonky at least 40 times. Hardworking men want a fuller-tasting, thirst-quenching beer. New Bud Silver. One cold can of You Bet I Earned It. Hi, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter. If you've ever wanted to become a successful investor but have some issues on just where to find a good deal, well, I've got one for you. Look no further than Soarhead Station, Burgers and Lord Hartford. The opportunity offers low participation with a maximum revenue award potential. If you want to learn more about this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, just send me an email. Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com That's Dean at KentuckyGhostHunter.com I'll tell you what, I'll forward your request for information to the owners of this facility, and you'll get back to you as soon as possible. It's a great deal, folks. Remember the name, Sorehead Station Burgers and More. When the food is great, the profits are going to be greater. We're here asking people from all over what they think of lifting green tea. Let's hear what people from Texas have to say. Mmm, How about China? Mmm. Germany? Mmm. How about people from the North Pole? Mmm. Or Mars? What about mimes? Oh, right. People with their jaws wired shut? Oh. Yeah, a barbershop quartet. Mm. Oh, you guys are great. How about race car drivers? Mm. What about you, high school glee club, here on a field trip? settles it. It sounds like everyone loves the taste of Lipton green tea. With its protective antioxidants from real tea, it's not just good for you, it's mmm to you. Lipton tea can do that. Air fresheners create a beautiful atmosphere in your home. But some can be overpowering. Ambipure Puress is different because it's allergen reduced. It's just as scented, but we've taken things out to make it kinder to sensitive skin. So, all you're left with is a collection of delicate air fresheners approved by Allergy UK. Ambipure Puress, a fresh take on fragrance in your home. You love chocolate. Mmm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate. So you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's Dark Chocolate to the Rescue. My heroes! M&M's Dark Chocolate Candies. Available wherever fine candies are sold. Hi, Tom Bodette. Of all the things invented in 1962, some have faded away, like cassette tapes. And others are still very much with us, like lava lamps and Motel 6. 
Yep, Motel 6 is celebrating 50 years of giving travelers a good night's rest and saving you more for what you travel for. But we're just getting started. In fact, the longer you watch us, the better we get. Kind of like a lava lamp. Trippy. I'm Tom Bodette for Motel 6. 50 years and the light's still on. Welcome back to the Kentucky Ghost Hunter Show. Our guest tonight is Chris Houston, and we're having a good conversation here. We were going to start out talking about EVPs, but during the break, we kind of went into another subject off air, which was the X-CAM. And, Kevin, I'm going to kind of relate over to you real quick because you said you had a question uh, for our guest. Yes, uh, Chris. So my question is, you know, the X-CAM – I'm a skeptic of it to a point, um, as I don't really understand how the SLS XCAM actually works, and there's really no instruction manual to it. So, other than you program it, turn it on, and it'll map things out. Um, and I've seen a lot of the TV shows that map things, and I, I know it's a lampshade, I know it's a wall. It maps out a lot of things that I know is not really paranormal, but the TV shows will, you know, claim it's paranormal. Uh-huh. However, we were at a place called Thornhaven Manor, which I'm sure you've heard of Thornhaven. Uh-huh. Okay, we were upstairs, and Denise, my girlfriend's got, you know, she's a medium, and we were up in the room, and our girl Peggy was actually filming on the X cam across the room, and had, I mean, about six, seven feet away from her, but she had no idea. And Denise said, Something's hitting me in the back, something's hitting me in the back. And she had no idea. I mean, she couldn't see the X cam or nothing. It wasn't even. And I went over and looked at the X cam, and there, sure enough, this thing's hitting her in the back. You can see the arm swinging on her back. So she's my backer. So I walked over, and I said, "All right, well, let me, you know, look at your back. You know, that maybe she's getting scratched or something. I don't know." So I went to look at her back, and on the, we, we wear purple shirts, and on the back of her shirt, there was a handprint. Now we all know Thornhaven's; it was dirty. It's not a very clean place. You know, there's dust and stuff, and. But the handprint, you can very clearly see it's a child's handprint. And during the session, we were actually talking to a young girl. And the handprint is literally, you can see the palm, you can see the fingers and everything. And I have small hands, and the hands are half my size. And it was to the point that even Steve, who owns Thornhaven Manor, was with us that night. He actually bought the shirt from us. And I wish we would have kept it. Um, But it physically, you can see this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I know, but you know, at the time, we thought it was cool, and Steve was hell happy with it, and so we were like, sure. Um, but it was hitting her on the back. You could physically see the X-cam, the, the, the stick figure, hitting her on the back, and I went over to look. Sure enough, I mean, I swear to God, there is a handprint. Dean was there. There was a handprint on her back. Yep. I'm a witness to it. Matter of fact, we've got a picture of that on the Kentucky Ghost Hunter website, and I know Thornhaven has a picture of it on his Facebook page, too. Yeah, it was crazy, and there were a lot of witnesses to it. Everybody's like, and Denise had no idea that she could not see the X cam. It was crazy. Well, I mean, it could be possible that it did map something in that instance. the The cameras are designed to map um, literally any type of physical presence, and then map it. The, the software is designed to map it as a game, and which is what it was originally designed for, so that it can map the individuals jumping in front of it, moving in front of it, and so forth. So anything that moves in front of the screen, it will map. The biggest problem is 99% of what it maps generally is not what people think because it will look out and it will map a heat source, it will map a bug, it will map a dust mite, 
it'll map virtually anything that it can catch and then try to link it to the individual. Um, and when it links it to the individual, it tries to draw a, a line to make it look like another person because that's what it's designed to do. But in an instance like that, I mean, it could have mapped something. It's not impossible for the camera to, to map something. It's just there has to be some sort of physical presence there to map it. The biggest problem that you have with that is, as we know it right now, ghosts are not a physical presence. They don't carry physical matter. Um, so that kind of makes the camera irrelevant unless they can form physical matter. <laughs> so, I mean, you could have caught in something. But, um, I mean, in most cases, I don't rely on the, uh, the mapping cameras right now because they just aren't reliable enough. Now, Panasonic and Sony are coming out with the next generation of mapping cameras. They're not designed for game machines. They're actually designed for 3D mapping so that you can attach them to a 3D printer and you can print out a whole person if you really want to, animal or otherwise, without having to worry about it. It'll map it, it'll run it, it'll so forth. Those cameras, if you were to connect them with existing software, might very well change the game because they're actually designed in a matter to where they won't just go out and map anything. They literally have to isolate to exactly what you target. <laughs> Well, let me let me ask you a quick question. Now, is it not true, and I, I think it is, and you probably heard this too, that the, the creator of the X-Cam really doesn't even know how it works himself. That, that's what I've always heard. Have you heard that? Um, when you get into the original software, yeah, he has no idea how it works. When you get into the original software that does the mapping systems, the software and the cameras were designed by Microsoft. Microsoft did not release how the mapping software worked. They just gave the software. So... They gave the software, and then eventually they released the cameras when they had no use for them anymore and resold them so that people could readapt them. They did the same thing with the Generation 2. So really nobody understands that software unless you're a software engineer. So, Dean, now we know Microsoft did it. Now we know why these things keep crashing out Do not out work. On us. That's right. Now, I'm going to give a warning out a little bit to some new people out there that actually want to go out and spend the 27 or $2,800. You have two people here that have a camera, me and Kevin both, and we will tell you beyond all certainty that if it breaks, there is no way to fix it. Uh, we've actually had one of our technicians call the office that sold it to us and they couldn't fix it themselves because they didn't know how to. So that kind of that kind of gives me a leery feeling about these cameras if they don't even know how to fix them. I mean, you guys agree with me? <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> um, and, and just so everybody just so everybody knows, um, I do have a more affordable camera than the twenty seven and thirty seven hundred dollars that's on the market with GhostSight.com. It's an XLS mapping camera. It comes with its own stand. It connects to a tablet. And you can purchase that for about 600 bucks. Now, you're going to get descriptions on how to operate the camera. You're also going to get descriptions on why the camera may not work for you. But, hey, if you still believe in an XLS, you're more than welcome to buy them. <laughs> now, Kevin, do you remember we used that when we first got together and started doing investigation together? We were actually at Octagon House and used that uh, XLS camera on, it was the downstairs area where the child uh, caught on fire. And we actually, uh, Denise was there, of course. She's always there with us. And she was feeling the presence. If you remember, right, we mapped. It's actually on YouTube. If you look up the Kentucky Ghost Center, I think, because it's been so long ago. But if you look it up on YouTube, it actually pops up. People can see it. 
But uh, we we caught a figure that was touching Denise, and she actually was explaining. She didn't see the camera or where we were at, but she was explaining to us as she went what she was feeling. Where and, it was. Uh, she saw and where it was and everything, and it actually mapped. So it may, like like Chris says, it may do it and it may not, but I've also seen it map a wall. I've seen it map a light socket. I've seen it map a door. It maps um, lampshades a lot. Yeah. And if you ever use it outside, and, and I know we're not, I hope we don't get, you know, these guys don't get ticked off of this, but it's just the way it is. But <laughs> I've used it in cemeteries before, and it will map a tombstone like a person, but it won't map anything else. So well, I physically, I, I physically mapped a fly to a wall that actually physically connected a, it connected it to make it look like a person and touch another individual, and it was a fly on the wall <laughs> that got it to map. Yeah, I guess you, when you start out with her, but you see it on TV, and it's like Kevin saying every time you, and, and that's another thing, reality TV. We talked about that last Friday too. I'm not going to get into it yet, but we're going to. But people see this on reality TV and they're like, oh, look, I caught a spirit. I caught a demon. You have to realize when you do these things, you have to really, really look at what you're doing. And, you know, like you said, you could have a fly on the wall and you think you have a ghost. Now, Chris, yep. I got I to tell you about a place that I'm going to send you, if you want me to send it to you, I'm curious your opinion on this SLS X-Cam footage I have. But there's a place in uh, New Vienna, Ohio. It's called Snow Hill Country Club. Have you ever heard of it? Yeah. Okay, we've been there. Well, my old neighbor who passed away, it was his son-in-law's, it's his building and course and everything. So we've been there numerous times, and we've gotten a lot of evidence. And But the place used to be a brothel at one point. Um, it was a tavern, then a brothel, and then became a country club in 1924. Uh-huh. But it's really, really old. And we stay the night there. We sleep in the beds. But the one room five is historical for a lot of activity. And even the owner of the place will not stay there. And the crazy part about this place, the guy who built the place has six wives, and they're all buried on a remote cemetery on the property, and every one of his wives died at age 26. Wow. Tell me that's not bizarre. <laughs> he don't like age 27. So, but, but in the brothel room, um, we actually got footage where a friend of ours came down from Somerset, Ohio, and he was sitting in the chair, and we actually got this pink figure that gets on the bed and then gets on the railing and swings their arm and literally jumps from the railing onto his lap. <laughs> and I've, I mean, I've seen these stick figures stand there before and do a little movement, but this thing actually swings its arm and leaps. And to me, that's gotta be something. Huh. Well, it'd be interesting to take a look at. I mean, yeah. uh, I, I, I've viewed probably about two or 300 different XLS images that people have sent me. I tried to match them to our own that we've done out on location, and most of what I found is explainable. But, uh, I mean, I'm not opposed to the fact that anything – see, the science that a lot of – a lot of the science that I use when I'm out on there is, is, is the physical approach. Um, so if something, if a laser gets disrupted, that means that something physically had to disrupt it. If a motion sensor gets touched, that means something physically had to touch it. If you have a uh, piece of equipment that shouldn't go off unless somebody puts their finger on it and it goes off, then there's physically a reason for that. The mapping system is kind of the same way. It's just unpredictable at this time um, because it maps anything. <laughs> so 
it is possible that you can pick up something because it map it maps physical situations. It'll map uh, an electric pole if it's moving too quickly, like you said, in a wall. It'll map you know it it just picks up something physical. It has to catch something physical in order to to create the mapping system. So. Um, I mean, it's possible. There's maybe two that I've seen so far that I can't explain. Uh, maybe if I could reproduce them, I'd be able to explain it. But uh, it's kind of like a thermal camera. Most thermal images can, are 100% explainable by the reset of the model because the way a thermal camera works, even the highest line thermal camera, after a certain amount of seconds or minutes, when you go from one room to another, the screen and the thermostat will reset quite briefly so that it can still register the movement. During that period in time, you'll pick up an echo of the image. So if you're moving your thermal camera and you move it down by a window and the camera resets, all of a sudden you might feel that you've got an image of something that just came from the edge of the hallway or the window, and in reality all you did was get that echo when it was resetting. Well, let's convert to something else. Let's convert to EVPs because that's what we were going to start the segment with, but we, we got off on it uh, during the break. But uh, explain to the folks out there, because there's a lot of new people that's going to be listening to our show, explain to them what an EVP is. And then I get this question all the time, and since I've got you on here, you're going to be the best person to answer it for us. How do we pick up these voices when there's no voice or nobody there talking? Well, first, EVP stands for Electronic Voice Phenomena. It originally started in the, well, actually, it started a little earlier than that. It started probably right around the 1930s to 1940s, but it didn't get popular until about 1950 to 1971 when people could actually dive into electronic voice phenomenon, and several other major people picked up on it. Radine did uh, a bunch of studies on it during that period in time and so forth. Uh, and the dates could be slightly off. I'd have to look at my notes. But uh, um, basically the concept behind that is you can start a recorder and pick up signals that should not be there. For instance, if I'm recording, if I take a standard audio recorder, tape recorder, whatever else, I should be able to record all the sounds in my room. But what happens when I get something that's not in that room? Where is it coming from? How is it being dispersed? and what's happening to it. Now, there are several different theories on electronic voice phenomena and how it operates. Some of those theories get blown to crap once you get into a uh, Faraday cage. One of them is, in radio, you're actually taught that a signal continues. Every signal we do, every sound we do, continues. So uh, the further it continues, the more time it continues, it's still there, it just breaks down. So... What we're listening to today, 10 years from now, will travel way out into the stars and also remain around here, and it won't be the full conversation. It will be a part of a conversation, and that conversation gets less, and that conversation gets less, and that conversation gets less until it totally disperses. Um, Now, one of the theories is we're not really picking up communication. We're picking up those leftover pieces somehow, and we have no idea why. That gets torn to crap when you put it in a Faraday cage because you shouldn't be picking up anything. <laughs> hey, do me a favor real quick before we go on. Tell everybody what a Faraday cage is because there's a lot of people that that's, uh, they don't know. A Faraday cage is basically a cage built to prevent all audio signals from coming in. Um, a solid steel cage is designed to reflect all electronic signal from entering, um, or a solid cage. 
there's a lot of different ways you can build it. You got to be very careful. A small Faraday cage can be built out of a steel can, but when you're starting to get into something as large as a room, you really got to use a lot of unique materials in order to make sure that the waves don't break in. And there's no way to 100% kill all of those waves, but you're going to kill most every one of them. Once you have something like that set up and you put your audio equipment in there, you should likely not be able to get anything in, which means everything in your room is all you have. Everything in your area is all you have. If you can still pick up a signal, there's something going on. <laughs> um, if that makes sense. Oh, it makes total sense. So go ahead with your with the EVP. I just lost my voice. Our EVP part of this too, because uh, we, you were going into a little bit about what the, the voices were that we were actually hearing when you pick up a recording. Well. The radio disbursement theory is actually a good theory. It's sound in scientific method, but it doesn't explain the Faraday cage. For example, uh, one of my friends that I had mentioned earlier was experimenting with EVP for quite a long period in time, starting off in old tape recorders, you know, the big reel-to-reels, and then going down from there. And he had um, particular voices when he had them in the Faraday cage tell him what was about to happen and tell him things that nobody else should know that were coming from not only his own relatives, but people he couldn't explain. When he told me the stories, and I'd let him actually reveal those stories, but when he told me the stories, it was eerie enough. Now, I decided to do some experiments in this, and of course I didn't believe that, right? Um, And I actually had physical voices tell me some specific things somewhere along the line. One of them was, um, hey, your car's on fire. Okay, well, I'm sitting downstairs in a basement. It doesn't work that way. I'm going to check on this, guys. I apologize, but I'm actually monitoring a show as well. They just finished. Okay, I'm going to take this off of mute here. are done. I'm on a radio show here, guys, so I'm going to cut it short with you, but you are finished. You're good to go, and I'll send the recording over later once I get it ran through. All right, I'll talk to you later. All right, sorry about that, guys. I'm doing a two-fold today, so that the world That's fine. That's fine. (laughs) I invested in a radio station here locally that's a digital radio station called WCGT when I'm not on radio, and unfortunately, the owner of the radio station was sick today. He went to the hospital with a flu bug, so he asked me... uh, if I could manage one of the shows, and I said, sure, but I'd already got set up here, so I had to make sure to kind of do a twofold. So I apologize to you and Donald and everybody, but uh, you know how that goes, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. But go ahead with what you were saying. So when we were going into um, EVP, I didn't realize that my car was on fire, by the way. I'm like, yeah, right, whatever, until I heard the car blow up. Hey, guess what? My car was on fire. <laughs> So I'm thinking, huh, well, maybe that's coincidence. Perhaps maybe I picked up something from somebody outside that said my car was on fire. I let it go for a few days, and then I came back in. And, of course, I had a friend of mine that had passed away quite a long time ago, loved her very, very much. And the next thing kind of startled me because I'm sitting in this cage, and I'm running my EVP recorders, and I'm playing them back and so forth. And about halfway through a session while I'm sitting there, and I'm not asking any questions, by the way. I'm just sitting there in a silent cage trying to figure out what's going on, testing audio equipment, trying to figure out what's what. 
and every now and then talking to myself, and I remember stating to myself, you know, I'm going to miss that episode of Star Trek tonight. And then when I run the playback, I get a playback from this woman, and she says, well, you know, Chris, you probably should do that. I love you. Okay. Well, that's a little bit more eerie because it was her voice. I know her voice very, very well. So you can't explain those situations. <laughs> They're just unexplainable. Um, the unfortunate thing about EVP is, just so everybody knows, it can also become very, very addictive and very, very dangerous to you <laughs> because those are not all the voices you're going to get. Once things realize you're communicating with them just so that you are aware, if you're just running around your house trying to experiment in EVP, you're going to get some very unlikely things that are also very, very scary. Now, I won't get into a lot of detail about that, but some of these things are not friendly. I don't know where they're coming from, I don't know how they're coming, and I don't know why they want to do what they do, but some of these things are not very friendly. <laughs> Chris, I have a question for you. We've had this happen twice now, actually three times. Um, once with Denise and twice with Alice, but we actually caught the spirit voice talking, and then Alice is a psychic and Denise is a medium, and we actually caught the spirit voice talking, and then literally within three to four seconds after that, Alice and Denise repeat what's being told to them. It's not. It's not. Have you ever had that happen? Yeah, yeah. I've had. Uh, I've had unusual situations with EVP that most people couldn't know. It's been a while since I got a Class A, although Octagon Hall got me a Class A upstairs, and I was in love with that place after that. <laughs> that place has got that place um, has got more EVPs in it. And we've gotten, like, I've gotten women, like, just crazy stuff. Southern women, it, it, that place is just loaded with, like, with all kind of EVPs. I, I got a full-on conversation when we were setting up equipment. Going upstairs, and my partner goes, hey, we're coming up. Is anybody up there? And then you hear, well, yeah, from a male voice, and we stop for a minute. We're freaking out. Um, and did you hear that? So I walk up the stairs, and uh, I turn around to look down over the uh, balcony there because I think maybe the other people are in the house. And I say, are there any males in here at all? Did you guys come in? Uh, Brandon Kreitzer was with us at the time, and I said, Brandon, are you in there? And then... Uh, and then you very distinctively, we got all this on video. I'm going to post it, actually, eventually in my documentary. But uh, we got a voice that said, no, I'm right behind you. Um, and then, of course, Joel starts coming back upstairs when he hears that, goes, hello. And you hear a female voice in the background go, hello, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> and we caught it on everything. I got it on my EVP recorders. I got it on my camera going up the stairs because I record everything from the time I walk into a door. Um, it was just the most fascinating thing I'd ever seen in my life. But, uh, it was, you know, I, I took some time off. I think I told Dean that I took some time off. I came back. I haven't got a Class A EVP or communication in many, many years. And then here we are four hours into an investigation or less, and we're getting them right off the bat when we're setting up equipment. <laughs> yeah, at Octagon Hall, we've got, I mean, I've gotten, um, we had one that actually called my name out and said, Kevin, you have to talk to me. And then we had another one that was a southern female. We had another one that said, it was it was 90 degrees outside, and she comes back and says, Maven, it's cold outside. And I'm like, cold? Well, we didn't know, we, could, we couldn't hear this when we were investigating, of course. We all heard it after, you know, after I went back and listened to the EVPs, but it's crazy. They got some crazy stuff there. <laughs> yeah, it's a, 
you know, I think we got off track there, but it's it's a beautiful place. It's wonderful. I'm I'm going back up there in February to do some filming for another individual, but uh, I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a blast to just get back in there. And I want to clarify what well, you and Dean had a conversation on Friday night about Octagon Hall. Just the last thing I'll say about it. But when we walked up the stairs, you know, the, the main stairway. We went. I was the last one to walk in that room, and they weren't just footsteps behind us. They were actually boot steps. I mean, there were heavy boots coming up the steps. Wow! So it wasn't That's like cool. light. It wasn't like light footsteps coming up. We're talking like boom, 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 boom up the steps. And I look back down. There ain't nobody there. And then Dean's like, "Well, I'm sure it was John." I'm like, "Well, he's not. He's in the other room." <laughs> and we yelled down to John. He said, "I'm sitting here in front of the computer." And <laughs> yeah, we had a phenomenal time. I had a female that um, she she's a, an empath. I guess uh, I I don't know how many people believe in empaths or listeners and not, but. You know, an empath is supposed to be able to feel oh. things, and we went into the the child, the the room with the, where the children were, um, and the one little girl I think died there or died downstairs of a fire or something like that, and she just felt that she had to read her a story, so she brought a book and started to read a story, and we actually physically on the recorder later find out that we're carrying on a slight conversation with this little girl in this room uh, while the story is being read. <laughs> It's a it's a great place to go if you've never experienced EVPs or or things like that for novices. If you ever want to go to a place, it's in Franklin, Kentucky. I'm with Kevin. It, it's it's one of the best places I think I've ever been to as well. Um, of course, I've got Kevin. I'm gonna let you tell this story, but I've got somebody there at Ocon that hates me to death. Yeah, Henry. <laughs> tell the story about Henry real quick, then we'll get back to EVP. Well, Alice was with us, I think, on that investigation, and um, she saw Henry, and she saw, you know, he, he just didn't like Dean. He just had no interest in Dean. Dean's a smart ass, I guess, and he didn't. <laughs> he just didn't take a liking to Dean too much. Didn't Alice say he actually called me that too? He called you a bad word. I'm not gonna say what he called you. <laughs> so when I go there, I've got Henry after me all the time. But uh, well, was that him calling you that or Alice? I'm kidding. I don't know. It's probably both. She probably was using that to tell to you know say things about me. But now when Alice, Alice sees me, she's going to hit me for saying that too. But okay, let me ask another question real quick because we, we're going to get off here a little bit off of the electronic part of it because we've had. Uh... Oh well, Dean, hang on one second. Let me ask go ahead. Go ahead. About, I got one more EVP question. Okay, Chris, we were at, um, quick synopsis here. We were up at Prospect Place and we stayed the night, and we thought the safest place was the parlor room, which. Actually, it was not the safest room in the place. We, I was, there's a coffee table in the room, and then one investigator was sleeping like in the chair, but he put his recorder at the end of the coffee table. My recorder was in the other end of the coffee table. We slept there for five or six hours, got up, drove back the next day. And literally, that whole time I was in that room, we have totally two separate conversations going on while we're sleeping on both <laughs> recorders. They did not catch the same thing on either recorder, but they were sitting next to each other. We're like, how is this possible? I've heard that at Prospect Place, actually, in the same place that they've carried. They've gotten multiple conversations just out of the blues and no idea. No but idea the same room, how to it was, explain it. It was nuts. Well, and let's... Man, I was gonna just—I was just gonna say real quick because I'm—I've got some people that's wanting to hear about this because I, I want to get off the electronic part of it for a second. What is your opinion on Ouija boards, Chris? <laughs> Do you really want to ask me that? <laughs> I need to because they're wanting. So I mean, that's what they want to know. What's your opinion? 
Um, well, um, I began a study, um, gosh, Lord have mercy, it's got to be almost 15 years ago now. We started at Ohio State University, um, just out of curiosity. Me and three college professors and some students put together a program to study Ouija boards. Now, this eventually went from Ohio State University to Michigan State University, and we actually did a little bit in Menominee, Wisconsin, as well, with their university. And we actually participated in over, uh, this is a guesstimate, I'd have to look at the numbers, but 2,780-some Ouija board sessions. Now, I took place, some of those took place in very haunted places, or claims of haunted places. Some of those took place in isolated sessions. We separated people into many, many groups, and we test trialed them. What do I mean by test trial, just so that the listeners know? We would take a group of people, and we would put them in a room for three or four hours before a Ouija board session. We'd put them in there. We'd feed them awesome food, put the most positive things on television you can, and then we'd give them to a Ouija board session to see what would happen. We'd take the next room, and we'd put nothing but the most negative things you could on there, politics, whatever that is, and we'd feed them crap food, as silly as it seems, and then we'd put them in a Ouija board session. We'd take somebody and we'd have them experience haunted situations, you know, play haunted stories, whatever that is, and then put them in sessions, and we took uh, a controlled session, and we also put people in there that, Really, you didn't tell them anything about it. You just exposed them to it. And then, of course, I participated in sessions. The professors participated in sessions and so forth. And do you know what I found out about Ouija boards at the end of all this work? I'm dying to hear. They do nothing. <laughs> well, uh, let we me, that, so how, how do the people, no how, how did this thing move, though, Chris? I mean, I, I've, and I agree, I'm going to agree with you what um, you're saying, but well, there, you can a, see it on TV and everything. They'll science, actually put on the pendulums. There's such thing as science called an ideometer effect. The ideometer effect allows you to move the board without realizing you're moving the board subconsciously. What we found with most of these is if you put them in a positive room and they believe in Ouija boards, you get a positive effect. If you put them in a negative room and they believe in Ouija boards, you get a negative room. You get a negative effect. If you put them in a haunted situation with a Ouija board, they get what they expect out of a haunted situation. Um, and then we tested that further by flipping it over to test the ideometer effect. The reality is most of the time, guys, if you use a Ouija board and you've got three or four people in a room, flip the board over and see if it goes to the question yes again. It won't. So you just so think it's a psychological knows. thing. When people use and this, it's, it's a psych- yeah, psychological... It's a psychological ideometer effect. The ideometer effect is designed... The brain needs to decipher what's going on. So you physically move the board without realizing you're moving the board. If you were to take all your hands off the board and leave it sitting there by itself and say, move it, it's not going to move. Um, and these are facts that most people don't want to accept. They just do it. So where does the paranormal come in in all this? That's the next question everybody will get. Well, why do I still have experiences? I don't believe you. I'm not telling you that you cannot contact something if you're looking for it. If you're out there with a Ouija board and you're reaching out to something, good or bad, and it wants to respond, will it respond to you? The answer is yes. But is it the Ouija board responding to you or is it something else? The answer is it's something else and you just got lucky. They decided to respond through a Ouija board or whatever else was there. It's no different than anything else we do out in the field. It's not evil. It does not conjure demons. It does not contact demons. It does not do anything. 
It's what you believe works. Now, what do I mean by that? You know what? You ask the same questions when you turn on an EVP recorder. You don't even need a Ouija board or a recorder to try to communicate with the spirit. The reality is, if a spirit, ghost, or something else is out there and wants to communicate with you, it will. If it doesn't, it won't. If it's something evil and it wants to bite you in your, excuse my term when I say this, but bite you in your butt, it's going to bite you in your butt. You don't need a Ouija board for that. You're not conjuring anything. You're not calling anything forth. And if you think you are, you're wrong. That's not how these things work. I know that's terrible, it's blunt, but it's true. (laughs) When you're you're out, like you just said, you know, when you're using the, you're trying to communicate, whether it's through a spirit box, Ouija board, whatever you're using, trying to communicate. Now, my team, we don't, very rarely have we ever come across anything really negative. And I think it's because we go in with respect to these spirits and we don't treat them with disrespect. And I think I've been with, I've seen people go out and do things in in my early days in this and they would call these spirits out. They would curse. And they got that right back at them. I well, mean, they were getting cussed out on the... What's there's that? something called intentions. And, you know, early on, you were taught this all the time, even when you were doing the scientific research, that your intentions are key in going into any situation. It's the same thing with a Ouija board or anything else. If your intentions are pure and you go in there with a positive spirit and you don't want to cause any negative situations, what are you going to get out of it? You're going to get a positive response 99.9% of the time. <laughs> There's always going to be that less one, less than 1% that there is something there that wants to bite you in the butt. That's a whole other story. But um, I'm not a firm believer of Ouija boards actually contacting the dead. I just I don't believe it. <laughs> what's, your, what's, your, say, but. what's your viewpoint of something? Do you believe in a spirit can jump into somebody? Um, do I believe in possession? Yes. I do believe in possession. I don't think it's quite as people make it out on television, but I've had the unfortunate case of being around real, a real exorcist outside of a room. I had What I heard during that session made me decide I don't want to be a part of it. Um, and yes, he flew over from Rome. Yes, I was a part of that. I won't get into detail about that because, firstly, I'm not allowed to, but... Secondly, it's, it's, a, it's a disturbing situation. So I believe that, yes, there are incidents where things, um, demonic or not, can possess you. Uh, it's just very, very rare. Um, right. I was speaking more alone a spirit, not really demonic, just like a spirit of, um, you know, any kind of spirit. Can they jump into somebody and create and change them? Like can, an attachment, well, but worse. Can, can they... Um, can they possess you? I mean, sure. If, if if these other evil things can do it, then why can't they? I mean, that's my theory on it. Because, And mm-hmm. I didn't believe in any type of possession for a long period of time until I witnessed it myself twice. And after I witnessed it myself twice, it's kind of hard not to because it's not like people think. You don't have these eyes rolling into black colors and all this other stupid stuff you see on TV. But you will see a 100% personality and reaction and facial change. Now, it's not a facial change where it's all distorts and you see some other face, but you definitely know that person's not there. Right. <laughs> so what's your opinion on scratches, Chris? Because we've uh, we've experienced it. Kevin's, well, Kevin, I don't know if you've experienced it, but your team has experienced well, I never, it. I never believed in scratching, Dean, until 
it happened to Denise once. Right. I never. I thought it. I thought it was all made up. I'm like, it doesn't happen. But then I actually physically watched it. So yeah, and we actually remember Chris, uh, which is my wife. She got scratched too. Yeah, she. We we witnessed it ourselves. But what's your opinion on that? Um, it's a twofold opinion, and I tested this on myself, believe it or not, because I've been scratched before, um, many many times. Uh, I. Throughout the field, so I was wondering, okay, can a person do this themselves? Theoretically, yeah, you can manifest a scratch, believe it or not, listeners, on your body that you did not scratch yourself, just like anything else. If you believe fully that it's there, it's going to show up. Now, does that explain all of your situations? The answer is no. I've been in some very unique situations because, unfortunately, I put myself in those situations and I have been scratched and have watched other people be scratched due to that, which is also why I tell people when you're when you're out there, don't think you can walk out and provoke things. There are times and places where you can do such if you're trained to do so, but don't be stupid enough to think that you're four years in and you can just walk out and confront something you have no idea what it is because the answer is somebody else might get hurt. <laughs> You know, Chris, we have a Denise has a philosophy on on scratches, and early on, I believe didn't believe they actually happened, and that it was always the Trinity, and it was always demonic. But Denise, you know, I saw her get. I mean, she had three deep ones, and it went straight down her backside where you couldn't, she couldn't even reach to do it. And we were in a private, we were a private investigation, and basically, Denise's theory on it, which I totally agree with her on, is. What if it's just the normal spirit reaching out to, to try to get your attention? But if you take your hand, Chris, and you reach out and scratch somebody, you're only scratching with three scratches, your middle three fingers. Your pinky and your thumb yeah. aren't big enough to scratch and them, I, so really you only leave three. I think a lot of times that's what you're, what, what, you're, what you're getting. If theoretically these things are still around and they're carrying some sort of process we don't understand, whether it's slightly outside of our variable in another stream, whatever it is, we have no idea how that's going to affect us. Even walking out and putting your hand on somebody could burn or hurt, Um, and they're not going to know it. So reaching out to try to scratch somebody might just be somebody coming out and trying to touch you, and hey, those fingers hit the right way, and bam, there you go. (laughs) Um, So I, I think it's plausible, yeah. I don't think that everything... In fact, I don't think that most things are evil when you're dealing with it. I think people take too much of the term demon and evil into things when reality is 99.9% or above of what we deal with is not bad at all. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's just how you respect them or not. If you disrespect somebody, expect to get punched or scratched or, you know, I mean, just like in real life, if you disrespect somebody, you're going to probably get some retaliation. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's always going to be that small amount that most people don't run into that if you're very unlucky, you might hit. And it could be somebody that's just pissed off and grumpy. <laughs> it could well, be something more. But... Let me ask you more question then, because I've, I've seen this on people's videos online. I've seen it on the TV shows. And I try to tell people and I try to educate people about this. You know, this is the dangerous line of work. I mean, we don't, like you said, we don't really don't know what we're dealing with. However, these people that go out and they say they want to be punched, they want to be scratched, they want to be pushed, shoved. I'm like, you don't want that. Why would you want that? Right. They want to have that personal experience, but really, the, you, why, why would you want that? Being from somebody that's had those personal experiences, and I have a 
a team member now that goes along with us when we do our filming and so forth. And he's a very brazen guy. He's not scared of anything. He said, I'm looking for, I'm looking for that. And I, I told him over and over and over again, I'm like, you may be looking for it now, but uh, trust me, you don't want it. Um, it, it. People think that going out into the paranormal, that that thrill is going to give them the proof that they want. So they go out there headstrong, and they go out there going, I want this, I want this, I want this. And I, I'll tell you guys right off the bat, I dealt with it for 11 years of my life in a house. I got thrown around. I got bruised. I got beat. I got scratched. I know it's not fun. You don't want to be dealing with it. <laughs> what do you suggest to people that are dealing with it? Um, the, well, the easiest route, to be honest with you, because it's going to be a tough route, the first thing you have to understand is these things can only hurt you if you allow them to. And you're in control, not them. I know that you don't feel that way. I know that it doesn't look that way. But that's the truth. Once you realize that, the next step is bringing more positive things in to get the help that you need. A lot of people go out and look for a paranormal investigator, but the reality is there's a lot of investigators that don't understand that they're there for the people, they're there for the rush, they're there for the experience, and they're there to find a ghost. So that can cause it to be a little bit worse. What you really need to do is find somebody that understands that you need to adjust your habits in your life, the situation in your life, and you need to realize that you're in control of all of this. Because the reality is none of this can harm you unless you let it. That's, I, I dealt with something that I don't think most people can deal with in their life. I, my story, if I were to share it with everybody, you, you'd be, wow, you went through that. Uh, and you'd either be, I'm sorry you went through that, or I don't believe you. It was a very tragic time in my life. I thought I was crazy at one point because I dealt with it. So I did what crazy people do, go to a psychiatrist, try to get on medications, the psychiatrist kept telling me it wasn't me. He went to my home, scared the piss out of him, never came back, told me I needed a priest. No joke. Absolute truth. Um, and eventually I finally found one investigator that basically told me, Honey, you're the only one that can win this. I could go into that house today, but I don't want to because it doesn't want me there. It doesn't like me there, and it's just going to make it worse. You have to realize that you have to deal with this. It can only hurt you. If you let it hurt you, you're in control. <laughs> you know, I'm gonna that, have to, uh, let, let me ask you real quick, because I like what you're saying. A lot of people don't understand that. But if we're dealing with something that's, you know, some people think the spirituality part of it is more powerful than we are. But what you're saying is we're more powerful than it is. So can you kind of, and I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot, but explain that. How are we more powerful? Well, Spirituality is a word. It's, 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 not a, it's not a being. It's not something from the other side. Spirituality is a word. Anybody can have spirituality and anybody can have faith. If you have faith in yourself, you can do anything. Um, as stupid as that seems, humanity's biggest flaw, and I taught this for years in sales, is that we don't believe enough in ourselves. And when you don't believe in yourself, what happens? You don't succeed. When these things beat you down, you're scared, you're afraid, you don't want to talk to other people because it sounds insane. You beat yourself up over that. What you don't realize is you're the one in control of everything. They can't harm you because they're not physical. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but they're not physical. They'll harm you because you're allowing them to harm you. 
Now, they can reach out. They can do small things to you. Yes, you might get a scratch. Yeah, if, you, if you're scared enough and you, and you believe they can harm you, you might get a bruise. Yeah, you might get pushed. But let's think about this a little bit. If I'm a physical person in the physical world and I really want to hurt you, am I going to push you or am I going to shoot you? Well, it really hurt. You'd shoot us. I'd shoot you. So why aren't they shooting you? It's because they can only harm you if you believe you, you can be harmed. Once you get past that notion and realize you're in control, they can't harm you at all. So is that a mental thing, you think? It, it is. is it, ah. yep. you have to, it takes a lot of work, so, and people have to do it different ways. Some people, uh, a very good friend of mine, Larry, he had to learn to do it metaphysically. He had to bring more positive influence into his family's life, into his life. He had to kind of find that balance, and each balance is differently. If your balance is stones and crystals and, and sage in the home to make the, the bad go away, then do that. There's nothing wrong with it. Because that's what you believe, and that's going to bring the positive back into your life. Mine was taking control of my life and believing in my religion and believing in my God at the time, and it helped. (laughs) Let me back this up a little bit here, because we were talking a little bit, uh, I guess it was a couple minutes ago, about possession. And a priest or whatever came from Rome and did the the, uh, exorcism. It, it doesn't that kind of uh, how do I say it? it doesn't it kind of uh, flip flop both ways though? If you can have a spirit that can possess you enough, what, I guess just you see where That's I'm going with this. By oppression, it all it all basically does the same way. It, how does a person get oppressed? Oppression is a beat down of your will. It makes you believe you can't defend yourself. It makes you so scared and so down and so out of control that you're going to let it into your life. Once you let it into your life, like anything, um, that's how we end up with habits. That's how we end up repetitively doing things. If you let these things into your life and you believe that there's no way you can stop it, then it's more likely to take control of you. That's it. All it all narrows down to your belief. If you honestly believe that. These things can't harm you. They won't harm you. Um, it, the power of positive thinking is the easiest way to explain that. I know it's kind of not coming off the right way on a radio show, but it's true. The power of positive thinking. If you believe in positive things, positive things happen. If you surround yourself with positive people, guess what? Positive things happen. You believe in positivity in yourself. If you surround yourself with negative people and negative things, what's generally going to happen? Negativity. <laughs> So we're uh, so if the if the preacher whatever minister whatever came down and was able to perform an exorcism, do you believe then that uh, the person that's doing the exorcism would have the positive attitude, has enough strength to overcome the whatever it is that's possessing the other person? As long as the other person and the families around them believe in him, yes. If they believe that's going to work, then absolutely. Um, and you'll actually have. If you get to the point to where you're able to talk to the Roman Catholic Church, they'll actually tell you that exorcism is a, is, is a lot of positive belief in, in the religion and the faith itself um, to win. In fact, exorcisms today aren't like what people think they are in most cases. The There's a term that everybody throws out on the Internet every... 19 weeks or so that I have to come back and rectify because I've had the privilege of interviewing some of these people, which took me dozens of years to get to, to finally get on phone calls with them. 
um, that uh, the increase in exorcism is not because there are more demons in the world as demons. The increase in the exorcisms are because there's more evil in the world. These exorcists are being trained to go out into towns. You exercise a town, not a person. The town believes that there are bad things going on. They're very religious there. They don't believe in what's going on. They're not happy with their government. They're not happy with their crops, whatever that is. You bring a priest out. He exercises the town. He brings positive belief back in. Then the community's happy again. <laughs> I mean, basically, Chris, though, isn't that kind of what's going on in the world today? There's more people losing faith in God. And so we're having less, there's less Christian Christians out there. And there's less people going to church today. It seems like more people are turning away for other alternatives. And I think that allows, I mean, I think going to church, I go to church, you know, try to go every week. And, you know, I'm not, I believe I have God in my heart. But I think that makes me more positive. It makes me feel, you know, it keeps my head strong instead of, you know, yeah, if, I I didn't have, if I didn't have faith in God, really, I'd be... Religion is not really a bad thing. It, it's a good thing. It brings people together. It brings positive notion. People concentrate Correct. on the negatives of religion, um, and religion is a good thing. And it's, uh, I, I, I personally, I don't go to church, but I don't go to church because a lot of churches know what I do, and I research every belief, and I'm in the paranormal and so forth. So I get a lot of preachers that uh, they look at me oddly, uh, <laughs> um, but. Uh, uh, I firmly believe that religion is not a bad thing. It brings people together. It brings community together. It keeps positive notion. Um, believing in God is not a bad thing. Believing, I mean, think about it. Uh, it. There's more good things you can point out about God than there is bad things, no matter how you look at it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, but I think the problem you're talking about when it comes to religion, though, is there's a lot of people who that are priests, pastors, when they read the Bible, they read this is heresy and that, and this, we shouldn't be doing this stuff, and they believe everything's demonic, and that's why they try to stay clear of it. Where I have met a priest, um, I have a few priests, Catholic priests, and I also know some pastors who are very open to what we do because they, they're more open-minded. They, they have a hard time. They struggle with the Bible because they, 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 they live the Bible but they have a hard time. They see something happen. They're like, okay, I can't explain this. Why is this like this? If you can understand that. Yeah, well, and uh, what I don't think people... I think people read the Bible out of context by what they want to read the Bible as, because you want to preach positive things. You want to preach... There's a lot of positive and negatives in the Bible. What people don't realize is the Bible is... And I've had a lot of slack for this, but this is the reality of the truth. The Bible is perhaps the oldest history book in the world. Correct. Like it or, you know, like it or not, it is perhaps the oldest history book in the world. From the eyes of those people in that time, whether you want to believe in God or not, the fact is those things did happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so... People, if people would look at it a little bit more that way, then I think they could understand it a little bit more, because my God doesn't work like most people think, and I won't get into a lot of detail about that. Um, and this is why I conflict with a lot of different churches and a lot of different pastors and so forth. I believe in God, but I believe my God works a little differently than what people want to paint a picture of all the time. <laughs> 
let me let me since we were talking about possession again, we got into religion. Let's just put it all together. Do you believe that? You know, you're saying positive attitude and all that. But do you believe that the actual, if you say God, does it? It's, would that entity have any bearing at all on a possession? The faith in him, yes. Um, he he himself, no. Um, if you believe well enough that God is defending you, then the answer is God is defending you. Um, is God standing over you? As you got to think of it in a realistic standpoint, and I'm a very realistic person. There are billions of life forms on the planet Earth. If we are not the only life form, and this almighty creator created everything else, then there are billions of life forms somewhere else, and billions of life forms somewhere else, and billions of life forms somewhere else, and billions of life forms somewhere else. Now, do you think one thing, just from a human brain, and we know he's not human, but just from a human brain and reasoning, do you think one thing can be everywhere at once? Um, well, and in, in my reasoning, the answer is no. <laughs> well, let's go a little bit deeper here. Let's just assume, because I, I kind of like the subject, <laughs> but let's assume that you know, if you're thinking from a human standpoint, <laughs> the answer would be no. But if you're looking at a universal standpoint, Maybe the answer to be yes. You see where I'm coming from? Well, I pull I, I pull everything from a logical standpoint, and the logical standpoint is no. So how does he do this? Well, again, the answers are in all the texts. Now, you have to take time to really study religion to get into this, because some of these texts have been removed from the Bible, but they're still accessible, and you have to look into other religions to piece two and two together, because every religion pieces pieces it all together differently. And the fact of the matter is, almost almost Every religion narrows down to the same thing if you read them all. <laughs> um, there are other creatures, things, or whatever you want to call them, that help along this process. And there are others that help them, and there are others that help them, and there are others that help them, and there are others that help them. So I like to call that what most people call it, and let's call it an army, right? You know, you got an army of people, and they all do specific things, that you that one person commands them to do, then another person commands them to do. Kind of like what we have here. You got a president. The president tells the generals. The generals tells the, the lieutenants and whatever else, and it goes right down the branches all the way down to the rookies, and things get done. Well, I think of it a little bit more along those lines. And the other side, the same way. The other side obviously has something that controls it. It has people under it. It has people under it. It has people under it. And it has people under it. Now, I know that goes into a lot of different texts that people can go, oh, so you're talking about this book and this book and this book. Well, pieces of those books make sense, but not the whole. So where is the? where do we fall into all this? Now, I tell everybody the same thing over and over and over again. It sounds totally insane. But if you've ever been caught in the middle of it, you understand what I'm saying. And there will be, there'll be people out there that actually understand this. There is a war going on. Whether you want to call it heaven and hell, good and evil, positive and negative, there is a war going on. And there are things pulling those strings. And every now and then we get caught in the middle. Some of us are, I like to say, less lucky by seeing more of it than others. And some of us aren't. But humanity gets caught in the middle of that. And sometimes when we're told what to do, you have to do it and believe you're on the right side and not the wrong, <laughs> if that makes sense. Well, it makes total sense. So um, 
and I want to kind of dwell on this war thing here. So, and you mentioned it earlier too, but to, to, do you really believe there's a war going on? 100%. Do you believe in angels and demons? I don't know if they're angels and demons. I don't know what they are. I don't know if you can call it positive and negative, good and evil. Each different, each different belief system throughout history has called it something different. Um, in my religion, it's angels and demons. Can I tell you, do I believe in angels and demons? Well, I believe that there's something there that's positive and negative, good and evil. So if you want to call it angels, sure. Um, I don't know what to call them. <laughs> Well, do, do you have the belief that we're, because you know, and I, I, Kevin will attest to this too, these new paranormal groups out there, they're like every day you hear them making announcements how they're running to help a family or do this or do that. <laughs> and we have, you know, from the years of experience in, in paranormal, you just don't find that as much as these new groups are. I don't know if no, they're, don't. they're on the National Enquirer or what, but I mean, they're always going out. But my, my question is... Um, Basically, if we're in this war, do you believe, and when I say demons, you're not really thinking they're demons, but do you believe those those negative feelings or whatever are personally attacking people to uh, have them change their ways? Um, I believe that there are things pulling the strings, yes. Um, I believe everything that's going on right now is being strings being pulled. What people don't understand about the war, and this is where I... It, it, if you call it demons, let's let's call it demons. Let's call I it. I think we need to. Devil. That's the only way people are going to relate to what yeah. we're talking let's, about. I think. Let's call it the devil and demons. People assume that a demon is going to possess an individual. That's what it does. It wants a human host. Blah 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 blah. That's not the way it really works. If you actually dig deep enough into religion, and I've been digging deep into religion in every religion for God since it's been at least twenty years, you will find that if the more you read, the more logical things come out. And that is that many, many of these things are concentrating on bigger power and bigger war, and we're caught in between it. Now, whether you believe that that's God and Lucifer fighting over humanity because it was his creation, or whether you believe in the positive and negative because of the Buddha belief and how to, how to even that out, all of the religions state the same thing. A creation created all of this, the negative portion had fought back from all of this, and now they're at a war between that balance. Now, in that balance, is it more logical to affect one person that's Joe Schmo working in a McDonald's that knows nobody, or is it more logical to pull the strings of more important things so that you can prove your points? It's more logical to pull the strings on the larger levels. So... I honestly believe, in the, even though this gets into conspiracy, yes, a lot of the politics you're seeing right now, that's all the war between good and evil. All of the other things that you see, that's all the war between good and evil. Um, and then you've got the smaller minions and the little runarounds and so forth, and yeah, they play around from time to time to create pure evil as well, which is why you end up with people like Charles Manson. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's just... It's a bunch of levels that work together, and very, very rarely on our end is it a demon sitting in a home manipulating a family in Timbuktu somewhere. <laughs> so let me ask you this. What, what do you feel these 
and guys, I'm not running any groups down or anything like that because you know you, there's groups out there that probably are helping people, but we also know there's a lot of groups out there that are running into situations where they're they're saying they're you know demons are in the house and we're there to protect the family and all this good stuff. But what do you think they are running into when they go to these houses, especially these groups that are doing like one a one a week? Well, some of it is psychological. Some of it is the family themselves. Um, you get back into the scientific end, PK activity, parakinesis and telekinesis activity is a very likely thing. Um, because the more angry somebody gets, the more you can project that on other people and your environment, and the more you can create a negative environment. So I think a lot of that's got to do with it. A lot of psychosis and mental abilities that have uh, consistently reached. I mean, let's face it, even today, especially in America, we're all stressed out. When you're stressed out, you deal with depression, you deal with anger, you deal with all this other stuff. You project that on a family, it becomes even worse. If you have any other illnesses or diseases, that projects on it. And I think that's overlooked a lot of times. And paranormal investigators just go in and assume it's a ghost or a demon. Uh, so I think people need to pay more attention to the family and realize when the family needs to seek external help rather than paranormal help. And the other part of it is, let's face it, sometimes ghosts get mad. <laughs> or they uh, you know, if I was a ghost, I'd get mad. Yeah, or they want to communicate. Sometimes a lot of this is misunderstood. When it's not something simple like rats in a wall or uh, power surge outside, or even bad electricity in a home, you know, when it's not explainable like that and you're still getting activity, how do you really know it's evil? I've been in many, many residential homes where somebody thought they were being attacked by demons and evil things, and turn out, in fact, one of them was a, a little boy in Indiana, and I was actually just the, I like to call myself the scripter on this, um, basically, I sat down and took notes and wrote down everything that everybody said, made sure the video cameras did it and did the pre-interviews and so forth. But we went into the home because a young couple that had just had a child, and the child was about five years old, was getting some very paranormal activity, very scary stuff to them. They were getting things thrown around. They were getting noises in the middle of the night. The girls' room toys would fly around in the middle of the night. Um, they just they swore to God it was a demon and demonic activity and so forth. And it all started when she found this little wooden horse in the attic. And she still had the little wooden horse when they were coming in and repainting, remodeling the home and so forth. And she had the wooden horse sitting there, and I remember this the first day. She had the wooden horse sitting there, and this is on their videotape, but they never released it, in the kitchen. And I remember asking her, do you believe it's a ghost? No, I believe it's a demon. And I said, well, if there's something in the home right now that is not demonic and wanted to say something and gave us a reaction, would you respond to it at all? And she said, no, I believe it's a demon. And then I, I remember laughing and going, well, I'd like to see a response. And the little wooden horse flew right off, of the, right off of the table and right at me. Okay, well, we see a little wooden horse fall. We're curious on that. They did the investigation. I wasn't there for the investigation at all because it wasn't my job. My job was to do the interviews go back, and then do what they told me to do later. Um, and uh, turns out that when they did the history on this place, that this young boy died of tuberculosis upstairs, which was in the attic where his bedroom was. The only toy he had was from his father. His father 
traveled in coal mining or somewhere. I can't remember what it was, but his, his father traveled a lot, but he loved to whittle wood. So he created this little wooden horse for the kid, and he was not home when the child died. They sold the home afterwards, and he refused to go back into the home. Turns out the boy was still looking for a family. So the investigators said, hey, this is what's going on. If you want the activity to stop, give him a bedroom upstairs, give him some toys, treat him like a little boy, and I'll bet you it'll all stop. They've been doing that ever since. It's been about nine years now. <laughs> and he stopped, didn't he? He stopped. And he stopped, yeah. <laughs> okay, we've got so, only a couple minutes left here, and I've got to ask you this because I said I was going to mention it at the beginning of the show. And we talked about it Friday, too, but a lot of these homes that uh, they think they're haunted are getting their information from reality TV. And we both expressed our opinion about reality TV when it comes to ghost hunting, but I wanted you to kind of do it again on the show. So what is your opinion on reality ghost hunting on TV? Well, I have a lot of friends that are in ghost hunting television, a lot of people that uh, were guiders on it, and then there's nothing against it, but TV is TV, guys. That's the reality of it. Reality TV is designed to get ratings. They are going to overblow things. They are going to target specific areas. They, from time to time, exaggerate on a lot of areas, and most of what you're seeing is not the reality of actual ghost hunting. So if you think it is and you're going out into these homes or you're going out there as paranormal investigators thinking this is what's going to happen, you're way off base. You'll learn that in about five years. (laughs) <laughs> uh, sometimes quicker sometimes quicker sometimes quicker yeah so let me ask you this from the technical ver- point of view because you're you are a very technical person when somebody is getting ready to go out into the field ghost hunting for the first time and we've already talked about some of these fancy gimmicks or whatever it is that these people sell to them what do you suggest for somebody that's just starting out and going out? What is the equipment they need? And then give me what the equipment needs for those that are a little bit more advanced that want to uh, make a mark as far as collecting evidence. Well, for the first uh, for the first part, if you actually need all your equipment needs, go to ghostsite.com, which will be launching in February and have all your ghost hunting needs at half the cost of most of the major sites. <laughs> and don't forget um, to send our money for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, if you're starting off, your best bet to use is a, and this sounds crazy, I know everybody kind of laughs about it every time, but get yourself a notepad, tag along with other professional investigators that have been in the field for at least 15 years, if not longer, take notes, buy yourself a digital recorder, that's about all you need. Um, you can advance from there. Now, if you're in the more advanced field as you go, Remember, video cameras, guys, and night vision cameras are not to catch ghosts. They're to catch us and to catch recordings. But I, on every location I go to, I use an AX53, which is a Sony 53, very well motioned, easy to move around, keeps in focus pretty much. And I use a Sony AX33, which is also night vision, and fairly well motioned itself, a little bit more expensive. They run about five to $700, but they're great cameras. Um, I'm not much on K2 meters, but it doesn't hurt to have yourself a K2 or uh, an EMF meter just to do base readings. Base readings in the home are very, very important because you want to know if there's anything electromagnetically that will disturb any equipment or other things going on. Um, Get yourself a digital recorder. Um, If you're really, really advanced, I would go away from all of the as-seen-on-TV stuff and get yourself some real equipment. What do I mean by that? Look into uh, magnetic and thermal testing rods. 
for the outside uh, outside temperatures versus the inside temperatures, especially if you're at locations of clean water and so forth, because you're going to need that. Drop one of those in the water. Um, get yourself some high-line equipment and get yourself some decent static mics that are designed to pick up many, many levels from the high frequencies down to the low frequencies. Set all of those up as you're doing your recordings and then spend time studying how to review each bit and piece of that scientifically. See if you can find anything that matches. <laughs> so in the last couple of minutes here, we always ask this of our people. we got 15 minutes left, so you've got the whole 15 minutes if you need it. If not, that's okay, too. We'll keep going with questions. But you've been investigating for a long time, so tell us one of your most memorable moments as far as investigating is concerned. Oh, gosh. Um my most memorable moment investigation. Or scary, or scary. I mean, memorable, I guess, equals scary to some people. I mean... Um, the most memorable experience that I got was at a mansion up here in Ohio that's no longer allowed to have people in it. Ghost hunters did get in there. I don't think they aired the episode, though, but they might have. It's called East View Mansion, or East Park Mansion, which is just on the other side of Mansfield. The guy's remodeling it now, so I'm hoping I'll get back in there. But it was one of the early investigations that I did, and um, I was going in there expecting not to get anything, and the first thing that happened, which surprised everybody, was we're sitting in, there's this area called the sitting room, which we set up on, because that's where all the electric was at the time for the home, all the plugs and everything, and in the sitting room, you have these three small chairs, and then you have a little table over here. Well, we moved the table to the back. We still had the small chairs right on the area. And I went to sit down, and I remember saying, somebody looked at me and said, so you ready to catch ghosts? I'm like, I don't believe in ghosts. And I went to sit down, and the chair flew right behind me, and I fell right on my butt. Well, that was the start of the evening. Everybody laughed, and, and well, you know, we didn't move it. We didn't move it. I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody moved it. Um, throughout the night, I think we got not only a handful of EVPs, but it's the first solid apparition on an investigation i swear to god that i saw i mean i physically saw a female not only form but start walking down the stairs and look straight at me and then just disappear now, i wish i would have got it on camera but <laughs> unfortunately couldn't and it, it stunned me it was just the most amazing thing i'd ever seen okay do me a favor because i've seen i've seen one apparition kevin have you seen any yourself i saw one back in june for the first time yeah one yeah, in my a- life and, uh, you know, what are apparitions, Chris? I mean, we've, you've seen them, I've seen them, Kevin's seen them, but we really don't talk about what they are. Do you believe they're, well, just give me your opinion. What do you believe the apparitions are? Well, uh, you know, it's either an echo in time, the way I can explain it, something that physically kind of like a recording keeps playing back, and, um, or it's literally something coming into formation that, that uh, wants to talk to you. I've had two experiences with apparitions in my life. One of them was a personal experience um, that uh, was a girl that passed away in Delaware, Ohio, and she did actually, believe it or not, lead me to her grave. A um, whole other story there I'll tell you guys about one day. Um, but uh, she was fully formed, and I watched her, and she was, well, not fully formed. I could see through her, but uh, she was dressed and crying and the whole nine yards, and that girl was... I mean, she literally came into existence on that stairway, and and I could not see her legs, which was strange, but you could see the out period, period outfit, the whole nine yards walking down there. So really it's something that, that 
that takes a form that you can physically see. It's, it's almost as if you're seeing a human being. It's just not fully a human being, if that makes sense at all. <laughs> yeah, I think when I saw mine, it was actually a man, and he was just—he was like leaning against the the wall, and he had a—I don't want to say a trench coat, but it was a coat and a hat, and you could just tell he was an elderly gentleman. What was yours, Kevin? Mine was a black servant woman from like the 1800s. Yeah, she shocked the crap out of me. <laughs> I think that's the big thing. We see him, we just like, what the heck? That's why we never catch him on camera because it kind of catches us off guard. But because uh, it doesn't happen every day. I mean, like you see on TV, I mean, they get an apparition or somebody walks in front of a camera almost every other day. But uh, how long have you been doing it, Kevin? Well, this is where I get confused, Dean, because, you know, Denise and them are mediums and yeah, they do see him, but they don't see him like, like an apparition like we see him. Right. But I can't believe it made teams that I know of out there. That they see apparitions all the time. Every, I mean, you always see, oh, well, I saw an apparition. I'm like, how many apparitions can somebody see? Because I've been doing this for a long time, and I've only seen one. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, I've been in this for almost 25 years now, and I've only seen two um, <laughs> throughout 25 years. So you're, you're right there. How can you go out in every other investigation, oh, I saw this, <laughs> or, or even I heard this. I mean, I've been out on dozens of investigations, and I got squat. <laughs> well, right. You know, I think uh, I think the people's imagination takes over when they go on these because of reality TV. They they've got this concept of what they think they're going to see when they go on an investigation based on the reality TV, and when they actually get out there. It, it, I mean, to be honest with you, I think Kevin, you'll you'll tell the say this, and Chris, you will too. A lot of times, the paranormal investigations are boring as heck because you oh, don't catch are. something every five minutes like they do on yeah. TV. And I've gone places where literally we've gone to like General Sheridan's boyhood home, and I've been there three times now. And every time we've gone up there in Ohio, we've gotten zero evidence, not an EVP, not nothing, not even a <laughs> It's a place is just dead. I mean, it's a cool place, an old log cabin from 1808 or something, but it's a cool place, but it's just, it's, there's nothing there. It's just, <laughs> you know, I've said that I was telling, uh, um, Kevin, that on the other show, I've been to most major places, and uh, you know, I've been to Bob Mackey's Waverly Mansion, Ohio State Reformatory, uh, the Vasilla House, all of these different places. And I got to tell you, some of the major places, you know, OSR, I go there every year. I can't honestly tell you I've gotten much of anything out of them most every year I've been there, except for maybe once or twice. Waverly, the same place. You go to some of these places all the time, and you just don't get squat. <laughs> well, let me ask. Let me ask something, Chris. Then, because I have a theory on this, I think because I've been to Trans Allegheny, I've been to Moundsville, and I got very little to zero evidence, and yet those are the most haunted places in America. But I can go to another place, a private mansion residence from the 1800s, and it's never investigated, and it's amazing. It's like almost like the spirits in that home are like curious, like what you're doing. Yeah, because they're well, not I, used I to being talked to a little bit. Um, they they get. Uh... They get bored with these places. I mean, if you've got somebody coming in every weekend saying the same damn things over and over and over again, you're probably like, I'm going somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, true, true. I mean, that, I'd do that, wouldn't you, Kevin, if somebody's walking in the door every five minutes on me? or And, and you know what? That's something else that's happening, too. A lot, and I'm, you know, I'm maybe getting off subject, but that's okay. It's almost the end of the show. But a lot of these places that uh, it, it seems like every other town now has got a haunted house that they charge you know, $100 a person for somebody to investigate. There's a lot of haunted, new haunted houses coming out nowadays. 
I mean, you know, I, have you experienced that where, uh, and not experienced it, but is there a lot happening? You're in Ohio, correct? Is that right? Yeah. Is there a lot of new haunted houses? Because down here in Kentucky there is, and Kevin, I know oh, there is around that way, but it just seems like every other day a new haunted house pops up. There's all kinds of haunted houses and and haunted locations and all kinds of stuff that come and go here in Ohio. All, all kinds of them. I see haunted houses all the time. I see people starting new haunted locations. There's been a lot of them I've debated on whether to go to or not, because when you claim, hey, I've got a new haunted investigation place, you can spend some money and go look at it, but then you look at it and go, yeah, no. Yeah, some yeah. <laughs> some of my well, well, quick, uh, quickly tell me something here places. real quick. When, you ha- when you're when going to a haunted location or somebody says it's a haunted location, what's the first thing that you do as, a, as an investigator before you go there? Before I go there? Yeah, before um, you go there. Wait, some of the things you do to make sure you know it's a haunted or could be a haunted location. Well, if it's something that's on the, uh, I like to call it the public end, you know, where people can buy into investigations, I look into it a little bit. I don't like to do that if somebody just calls me and says, hey, I want you to come and investigate a place. But let's, um, I'll use Post Town because I love Daryl up there, and it's a great place if anybody wants to go up there. I haven't, got, I haven't personally got a lot of activity there. I've got, I've got a couple questionable things, but uh, let's use Post Town as an example. Hey, look, you want to buy into Post Town and go to an investigation with me? Then I'm going to pull up the information and take a good look at it because I want to know that there's something there. And I dig a little deeper usually. I look around the town history and see if it connects to anything. Because you're going to hear a lot of crap from most of these locations, and it's going to turn out that it's crap. There are some major locations uh, across Kentucky that are getting attention right now, and I can tell you right now that all the history they're throwing out there it's all bull crap. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of people ad lib to get people to come there. They make up stories. You know, I'll give you a prime example. When I, you know, this is my opinion now. People, I've defended myself on this, but I grew up in Cincinnati, and I grew up not far from Cincinnati Rectory, and I know a lot of the police in that area. And there was supposedly dog fighting in the basement and stuff like that. And Michael Vick's dog fighting ring, but I've talked to the police department. They're like. There's no record of any of that. Yeah. There's no record of any of that, but yet people go there. Here's my issue I have is people who watch these paranormal TV shows, they already go in. They already know the history of the place from watching the show. They go in with this mindset that there's dog fighting. So it's like they, they feel like they're going to catch something with dogs barking or dogs scratching. or And it's all kind of already pre in their head. But, and Dean will tell you with our team, we go to most of our places that aren't on the radar and we go completely into, we have no, we know nothing going into them. We don't know yeah, history. That's what we don't I know prefer anything. to do. Um, and then we validate. Yeah. That, and that's what I prefer to do. If somebody calls me tomorrow and it's not a major location where you're paying into it and they say, Hey, uh, I want to take you out to, I'll use Bryan, Ohio. Cause we were up there. Uh, Austin invited us up there for the intro. I did absolutely no research on Bryan, Ohio. Didn't want to know squat about it. Didn't want to know the history about it. Didn't want to know anything about the buildings um, or really where I was going. I just wanted to go in there with an open mind of let's investigate this and see if there's really something there or not. Uh, and the only way to do that is to not know anything because you can't dampen your own senses by believing something's going to be there before you know. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Hey, Chris, we're getting ready to end the show here, buddy. Tell everybody how to get a hold of you if they want to listen to your show or get a hold of you about an investigation or something like that. 
Uh, Paranormal Truth and Reality is on every Friday, BBS Radio. That's here, obviously. Station 1 at uh, 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time. Um, make sure that you tune into that. I've got some great guests about to come up on the air, and I've got some average guests about to come up on the air because I talk to all kinds of people throughout that. On top of that, of course, obviously, GoSite.com is going to be coming up for all of your equipment needs here in a little while. I do encourage you to do that. We're about to launch the very first ghost-oriented action camera with full-on night vision. Um, very portable, half the cost of uh, actually some of the biggest night, uh, biggest action cameras out there right now, and it's the same quality, guys, same structure, same software, the whole nine yards. I do encourage you to look into that. Outside of that, uh, of course, obviously, I rebroadcast on AM radio here in Mansfield, Ohio, Akron, Ohio, Toledo, Ohio, and we also do Indianapolis, Indiana currently. Uh, so watch out for the replays on Paranormal Truth and Reality. You can look me up on my website, which is ParanormalTruthAndReality.com, or on Facebook under Christopher Houston. I have a book coming out in April. It's called The Paranormal from Then Till Now. It's a series of four books talking about the whole history of the paranormal. I'll be going across Comic-Cons, you name it, cons all across the summer. So I encourage you to stop in at the booths and say, hey, yeah, I heard you on the radio. <laughs> Sounds good, sounds good, and, and we appreciate you being on. We've got a lot of good information from you today, and uh, this series you're doing on your radio program right now, um, kind of explain it real quick, if you can. The You mean the book series? No, actually, you had a, on your on your radio program there, you said this is part two of a series you're doing, is that correct? Uh, BBS crossover, yep. We, we're doing uh, paranormal crossovers with the people in BBS. We... Uh, started with you guys and then of course i came on your show and i want to have uh, kevin on my show so we'll have to schedule that so we can get you guys over and then we're, we're kind of um trying to do a series of events for you know bbs radio and for us guys here in the paranormal so that we can get all of us together since there i think there's maybe two or three of us on the radio right now on, on bbs there might be four of us that do paranormal shows kind of talk shop and and uh get the word out and and, uh, uh, you know, it's it's a crossover event. That's the easiest way to yeah, explain it. Yeah, easiest way to say it, but I love it, man. I think we should I think do we that. Should I'd all like to get together sometime. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Meet, meet and have dinner or something. But anyway, hey, listen, we're getting ready to end the show here, folks. I appreciate you being on uh, with us and listening to Chris talk about uh, Paranormal and Kevin, too. Uh, next week, we're going to be talking about Octagon Hall out of Franklin, Kentucky. We were going to try to do it this week, but they got the cold, so we kind of had to switch Chris. And, Chris, I thank you for switching as quick as you did. But, okay. uh, yeah, Baron them's going to try to be on next week. And, Kevin, who's our guest the week after that? Uh, Bill Hartley from – he was on uh, Ghost of Shepherdstown. Yep, he's going to be on in two weeks. So, folks, every night, Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Central Time, we hope you come back to our show here. And until next week, this is the Kentucky Ghost Hunter and Kevin Qualman saying good night and good hunting for you that are going out there. Thank you, folks. <laughs>